Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Bread and Roses, feminist news and public affairs on KBOO Community Radio in Portland, Oregon, since 1978 the longest-running feminist radio program in the country. We are now proud to bring our women-produced programming to Sylvia Global Media Network. Welcome to Bread and Roses, feminist news and public affairs. On the KBOO airwaves since 1978, the longest-running feminist radio program in the country. Bread and Roses is a collective of woman-identified radio activists, and we welcome new members. We'll provide training and mentorship to help you bring your personal vision of feminism to the community. If you're interested in getting involved as a producer, a host, or an engineer, please contact KBOO's volunteer coordinator, Ani Haynes, at volunteer at kboo.org or call KBOO at 503-231-8032, extension 213. Connect with Bread and Roses on Facebook, KBOO Bread and Roses. I'm your host this week, Leanne Kranz. Tonight, Bread and Roses shares an interview with Sonny Clifford, the star and heart of the new documentary, Young Lakota. The film is directed and produced by Marion Lipschitz and Rose Rosenblatt and premiered this November on Independent Lens on PBS. The film documents the impact of the 2006 South Dakota state law criminalizing abortion, even in cases of rape and incest. Cecilia Firethunder, the first female president of the Oglala Nation, proposed to build a women's health clinic on the Pine Ridge Reservation to provide services to all local women. Sonny Clifford and her twin sister Serena joined Cecilia Firethunder in the campaign for reproductive sovereignty. My fellow Bread and Roses member Delphine Crescenzo and I spoke with Sunny Clifford last week from her current home in Southern California. In this first segment, Sunny talks about the importance of women's auto- autonomy and the long history of white men attempting to control indigenous women's bodies. We wanted to ask you, um, you know, how you were approached 
by the film directors, and why did you feel that you wanted to be part of this documentary? I was approached at an open discussion, as what it was termed, by Cecilia Firethunder, who was the president of the tribe at the time. So she was going around to the communities on the reservation and um, talking about her presidency and what she was doing. So um, myself and my twin attended. And when we showed up, we were actually, I mean, like everybody, the whole crowd was uh, older generations of um, women. Hmm. There weren't any guys there, and we were the youngest, and I guess we stood out. And there was a lady there with a camera, and she just came up to us and started talking to us, asking us um, what we were doing there. Uh, and we asked her, you know, what are you doing here? You know, we had an exchange of what's your business. <laughs> and she um, then asked to interview us. So we agreed, and it just went from there. Hmm. So what compelled you and your sister, Serena, to join Cecilia's self-empowerment campaign to build a women's health clinic on Pine Ridge? Um, First of all, it was was surprising to me. And also, it was new that somebody from the tribe in um, a leadership position was actually talking about women's rights. I didn't really know about feminism either growing up on on the reservation. Um, Nobody really talks about it. Uh, Reproductive justice seems to be a big issue. Um, And she was out there talking about all these things that women deserve, uh, rights to their bodies and bodily autonomy and Mm. how our ancestors had that. And it's just it struck both of uh, both of us. And um, why, um, in your opinion, in, in Cecilia's opinion, was there a need for a women's health clinic on the Pine Ridge Reservation? What What are some of the issues that women are faced that um, you know could be you know that a women's health clinic uh, could help with? First of all, there's not specifically a women's health clinic on the reservation, hmm. and never has been. There is IHS, which is uh, Indian Health Services, and we have access to midwives and OBGYN through there. But that's um, it's like the um, the midwife or the OBGYN will be available in the community like one day out of the week. Oh wow! Yeah, I think women's health, um, you know, access to services within women's health isn't just necessary on reservations, but worldwide. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the documentary, you also uh, mentioned statistics around diabetes um, and life expectancy. How do you think that also Women's Health Clinic can help with some of these issues? Uh, um, yeah, there is a high rate of diabetes on um, within Native populations, um, and actually, uh, within, um, I've learned from recently being pregnant, mm. I'm 37 weeks now, and I was diagnosed with um, gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't aware that Native women are actually prone to gestational diabetes, which 
just because of our ancestry. So there's there's a tie in that with women's health, um, the importance of taking care of your body, not only before and during, but after, so that um, you don't develop diabetes later on in life. Can you talk a little bit about Cecilia's vision for this Women's Health Center, like what it would offer specifically to women? Um, I've heard Cecilia mention, I mean, all she did during that time period was mention the Women's Health Clinic, and then she was impeached. Her ideas were Mm. shot down, and the issue is still just as controversial today on reservation as it was then in 2006. Um, as for the services provided, it never, like the conversation never even got that far. Wow. Hmm. You know, it seems that people immediately just swung it to, you know, you know, this is a place that will be an abortion factory. And um, it didn't, it really denied uh, some of the other services that um, were I heard discussed in the film a little bit, um, mental health services you mentioned for women who have been impacted by rape or incest, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the abortion issue is the the wedge issue mm-hmm. still is. Um, and it just divided everybody and wants to throw abortion in with women's clinic. And they're like, nope, no, we're not going to have that. Mm-hmm. But let's think a little bit about you know, reproductive rights. I think that uh, you know many people do equate this with abortion, but but that's not really what it means. Uh, would you share with what you, what you think reproductive rights really mean and why they are important? Why uh, women's reproductive rights are important? For me, having um, access to women's health services. Uh, is important within reproductive rights because you have control over your body and therefore you have control over your life, your decisions. You're not relying on, let's say, fate or praying to God that you're not going to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reproductive rights covers covers a lot of subjects. I mean, you have you have the connection between land and body, as we depend on the land to take care of ourselves with water and food. So you have that connection there. You have connections with mental health, because you have to be able to take care of yourself. I, I, for me, reproductive rights are everything in life. Mm-hmm. And um, it, one of the things that you said in, in the film was, um, you know, it's it's not healthy to have kid after kid. A mother become, you know, impatient, impatient and their parental uh, skills, you know, get affected by um, having kids. And, uh, you know, they end up uh, growing up and, and then the kids just reproduce that. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that and what you meant? Oh, yeah. Um, I only speak from experience, (laughs) (laughs) and maybe some women can handle having kid after kid, and I'm not going to look down on them, but I grew up in a household of um, eight, 
my mom had seven pregnancies, eight kids, and I see the effect that it had on her and also my siblings and myself. And it, it wasn't, she wasn't able to pay attention to all of us equally. Mm-hmm. It was like we were all competing for her attention and we're all about maybe one, two years apart, so very close in age. You know, something else that you mentioned also is, you know, when people um, equate reproductive rights to abortion rights, you say, you know, people here, they worry about gas and groceries and propane, et cetera, and this is one more choice that we don't have, um, you know, getting women's health care. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about what that you, you meant? Well, like you said, I'm growing up with a, a family of eight and a single mom and watching her have to choose between during the winter time or the summer, it doesn't matter, between having light or having propane mm. or have, or not having groceries. It was always a choice between one or the other, go without or even clothes or shoes or a jacket. Um, I think the way that she had children really affected her and her uh her decision making in her life and limited her resources and limited our resources you know during the film Cecilia Fire Thunder as tribal president she gave some very compelling speeches about why she wanted to build this women's health clinic on Pine Ridge reservation and she likened some the South Dakota um reproductive bans she likened those to the long history of white men's interference and control of Native women's bodies. And she had this quote, I don't want a bunch of white guys telling me what to do. Keep your white hands off my brown body. Do you, <laughs> she said that, I love that. <laughs> do you want to talk about that, you know, long history of paternalism of the white man and, and how it has impacted Lakota women now and in the past? Yeah, I mean, I can see the connection that she makes with that. It's um, mostly this, uh, what is a colonization on mm-hmm. um, indigenous people. So, you know, these white men who then impose their way of life and their rules and their laws onto the indigenous population here in the United States as well as Canada, and they're still doing it to this day. So, I mean, before then, before before contact with white people, white men, the um, I know the Lakota women had their own midwifery services. They had birth control. They um, sometimes had abortion because mm-hmm. they couldn't have kid after kid after kid because they weren't staying in one place. They were mobile and were constantly moving and following the buffalo, and that was their way of life. So they had to be really socially aware of how um, they were going to affect the tribe by having children. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, they believed that a child needed up to about five years of uh, the first five years of a child's life. Um, they needed like full-on attention from adults so that they could grow healthy. So when we talk about the relation between the past and the present, 
I, I still see it as ongoing. Like, it's not stopped because you still have these mostly white men making laws about women's bodies. And I know um, Roe versus Wade, I think it's like 40, 41 years is coming on, like the celebration of Roe versus Wade. It, but on Indian reservations, we've never really had access to abortions. Like, we can't really celebrate Roe versus Wade 41 years. We're still trying to get there. You're listening to Bread and Roses. Tonight, we're sharing an interview with Sonny Clifford, the star of Young Lakota, the new documentary that chronicles the impact of the 2006 South Dakota abortion ban and the empowered response of some women on the Pine Ridge Reservation. In this segment, Sonny Clifford talks about the lingering impact of colonization, the ways that men use the term women are sacred to support their own agenda, and her decision to leave an abusive relationship. You say in the film that this abortion story is really Christian and it's being laid on our people. It seemed in the film that it really had, um, the community was very divided as every community in this country is. You know, that those view, the traditional viewpoints about family planning um, are quite, you know, they've been diluted or lost by the impact of Christianity. And, you know, for those who don't know, this wasn't benevolent Christian people showing up, you know, giving a little sermon. I mean, it was hardcore forced boarding school doctrinization and, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and it was a kind of sad to see. Yeah, it was very sad to see how much that, you know, something that came to your people in such a harsh way with such an agenda that was not about spirituality. It was about colonization. You know, it's, it was sad to see the fighting that was going on over this issue, the same fight we're having elsewhere. Yeah, uh, we're still dealing with the effects of colonization with language loss and um, trying to find our... Um, and a lot of people don't know. Like, I didn't know that women had their own services and the men had nothing to do with it. I had to learn that, and I think a lot of us are still in the process. And there are, like, um, leaders on the reservation who are Christian, and there are people who, I think, take abortion really personal. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm pregnant right now, but I don't take abortion personal. I mean, that's somebody's decision I can't make uh, for their life because not everything is black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for, thank you for for saying that. I think um for me I'm um, originally from France and in France is actually we have universal health care and abortion is paid for by um mm-hmm. universal health care by the government. And and I think that the debate is not framed around a moral issue, you know, whether you are good or bad women for having an abortion, but really around, you know, as a country, what can we um, actually sustain, or oh, as a woman, where do you see your life, you know, mm-hmm. at, at this point? And I think 
But also I think that with this debate, there's very often the idea that it's a very simple decision for a woman to make, and it never yeah. really is, right? Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I would love if you could talk um, a little bit about, you know, the, the complexity of, of, you know, making such a decision for yourself whether you're having a child or not having a child, and that family planning does not equal just having an abortion. Oh, yes. Uh, my experience with family planning has, or with access to knowing about family planning, has allowed me to graduate from college and be the first in my family to have a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. And it, it has allowed me to become the person who I want as well as decide to be married and um, decide when when I want to have kids, which I felt like I was ready. I'm 28 years old now, and I, I felt like I was ready to settle down. So I really feel blessed to have that opportunity to control that aspect of my life. You know, there was this term that was being used during the debate, it was being used by both sides to prove their point. Um, the term is, women are sacred. And some of the men interviewed in this documentary, when they were asked about their feelings about this women's health clinic being built on Pine Ridge, some of them seemed to use that term, women are sacred, as a weapon, like to control and condemn women or hold them to some unrealistic standard. And for example, the hip-hop artist Lightfoot, who passed through the reservation on the Reach the Res tour, when you asked yeah. him, <laughs> I wrote down his words. If you don't mind, they're worth repeating word for word, and I will try not to imitate him. <laughs> if we want to solve the problems that cause beautiful young women to denigrate and disrespect themselves by giving themselves to somebody for a night that ends up ruining their life for a lifetime, Giving them condoms or building a building so that they can come and learn about sex is not going to solve the problem. I can only tell you what I believe will truly lift you up. You are miracles. You are sacred. You are literally God's gift to someone here on earth. End of quote. And there was so much misogyny in what he said, and it made you cry and I wonder, can you talk about how statements like this don't face the realities of what is happening? Um, so frustrated and angry at that moment that I had nothing to do but cry about it. Me too. And it was like I, I wanted to hit him over the head because it wasn't getting through to him. It was like, why don't you understand that what you, like, what you just said was just completely backwards. I mean... If you say women are sacred, then why aren't you giving them respect? And in, in the aspect of respect, I speak of respect to make their own decisions, respect them, and believe in them that they are smart enough, first of all, to control their own bodies and control their own lives. And... I really think that, um, I, I hope you learned something from that. You know, men were, he just let men totally off the hook, too. You know, yeah. it's that classic old <laughs> condemn the woman thing. The man's invisible yeah. in accountability of responsibility. It was like, as we call it, uh, what, shaming? Like, well, uh, how does this woman who's having sex, like, who is she having sex <laughs> with? Like, her, what? 
Yeah, nobody. <laughs> but, yeah, but also he says you're literally God's gift to someone here on her earth. Oh, that is so hard. Like your only purpose is to serve a man. Whatever. But not for just a one night stand. No. That, that does not fulfill your mission. Oh my gosh. And you know, even I won't mention names, but there was another um person interviewed on the documentary and when he was asked about the health clinic his answer was, you know, I'd rather make a law that we didn't need a health center. You know, everybody should be well, and we should live in harmony, you know. And it's like these utopian visions of what should be. And, you know, that's often used in the argument about, you know, women should have their children, and, you know, we will, we will help them. We will provide services, et cetera. But those services aren't, they're, they're invisible, you know. We condemn the mother, <laughs> we condemn the child, you know, yeah. and they're left hanging. So that's got to, you know, we got to, like, challenge that sort of argument and say, okay, pony up, you know, come up with your solutions, not yeah, just your visions. I'm sure we all would wish that there was no need for such services, but, I mean, in this life, it's, it's not going to happen. we got to be real about it Native American women have a rate statistic of one in three Native women will be raped. I mean, how do we stop that? And that's mostly by men off the reservation, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's a statistic that gets skewed sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, during the film, there was a, a very um, empowering moment, and actually um, Leanne's favorite moment, I think, is when you leave your boyfriend of the time. Yeah. After repeated incidents of verbal abuse and alcohol abuse, um, do you mind talking about um, how you were able to make um, this difficult choice, um, and what can other women learn from your experience? It it took a while for well, like when I first got into the relationship with him, I didn't realize that it was abusive because it didn't start out like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we started out it was a caring relationship and. Eventually, it turned into um, something really, really bad, and I was eventually, he called me names, um, like, he called me a whore, and he started, like, putting me down, and it got physical a few times, and then it really took away from myself, and I think I just got tired of being treated like that, because, I mean, before that, before that relationship, I wouldn't ever stand for that and all of a sudden it was like somebody was just taken away at my self-worth and mm. it took a lot for me to realize that it took my family it was my family who told me that if I if I continued that relationship then they didn't want anything to do with me oh mm. yeah tough love I was really worrying on not only myself it wasn't only affecting me it was affecting everybody around me hmm and, um, you know, I think one of the most shocking moments for me was when he tattooed your name on his back in huge letters. Still there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering about, you know, what that says. I mean, you have a, a, a beautiful quote uh, in the film when you say, you know, no one can belong to another person. You know, I belong to myself. But then also, why do he think that was like the, an, an act of love towards you? I have no idea. Like he he 
mentioned that he wanted to get a tattoo of my name. And I said, I don't like that idea, but it's your body, so you do whatever you want, and he did it. I really don't, I have no explanation for him. Yeah, good for you for giving him power over his own body, huh? <laughs> yeah. You said in the film about your your very tough decision to leave. You say, it's a lot easier to say than it is to do, but sometimes you have to save yourself. And I just want to cheer when you said that, because you know, so often we see these relationships play out among our friends, you know, reality, and it's <laughs> so hard to leave in. And just to, it was so empowering to see you leave, you know, and to say, you know what, don't feel sorry for him. Uh, you know, I'm worth way too much. You know, you really put the emphasis where it needed to be. And so kudos to you because imagine, I can just imagine how, how many women you impacted besides me. Thanks. <laughs> it was um, a really difficult time for me to be filmed. I bet. Did you ever consider having them not included? Did it seem too personal? Um, yeah. I I think I mentioned I didn't want that in the film and then they kept filming and eventually I was just like, Whatever, whatever, whatever. I you know like I was reluctant but I I had a feeling that well you know, maybe maybe this could help somebody else. Um that just that feeling right there just overtook the reluctancy that I felt. I think for me also, um, you know, I don't know how much you know power you had over what went into the film, or how you know the script came about, but I feel that um, you know it would have been very easy for um, the, these two women filmmakers to really focus on the abortion, you know, uh, pro-life, pro-choice, uh, you know, and, and then I think that having you and Serena in there, and you know, like the really the real life challenges that you face, and you know, and and how. Um, uh, women's rights and women's reproductive rights is also about, um, you know, relationships and how we build these relationships. So I really felt that your relationship with this young man was also, y- you know, bringing um, that element into the conversation, which is, you know, you guys want to frame it as, you know, um, I'm right for making this choice or I'm wrong for making this choice, but really life is complex. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you feel that your experience working with Cecilia Fire Thunder on this, you know, campaign, did that empower you? I mean, do you think that that had a direct impact on how you made that decision? Did it did it awaken you during the process? I, I would think so, but when I recall myself before the relationship, I always felt like I was already a, a strong young woman who didn't want to, who didn't, you know, I didn't think, I think it deserved better. Mm. And like I said, it kicked away slowly at me. But definitely Cecilia and my involvement empowered me in that sense and also a lot more ways than I can currently see. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Bread and Roses. Tonight we're sharing an interview with Sonny Clifford, the star of the new documentary, Young Lakota. In this final segment, Sunny Clifford talks about growing up as an indigenous woman in the United States, the continued intergenerational trauma, the impact of the new Violence Against Women Act, and her dreams for her soon-to-be-born son. 
I'm wondering um, if you could talk a little bit about growing up, like how you felt about being a woman and being a Native woman. Um, you mentioned in, in the film that um, your your mother was not really um, open about your Native ancestry and your um, own family's history. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't always live on a reservation. We didn't. Uh, actually, we lived in Southern California for a few years. We lived in um, Utah. She tried to get us off the reservation, but eventually went back because she had a um, four other kids who lived on the reservation, and she wanted us to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. But I remember coming home from um, school one day. I was in the first grade, and this was in California. And I um, mentioned playing cowboys and Indians, and she sat me down and told me that I was, like, a real Indian. And <laughs> it, it was weird for me because I remember that. And I'm like, a real Indian? And she's like, yeah, uh, we're from a reservation, and we have a language. And I'm like, well, can you tell me more? And <laughs> she just taught me a few words. The first word she taught me was Hamza, which get out of my way. <laughs> 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 Great fun. <laughs> Mom word for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, after a few years, we went back to the reservation, and I um, I didn't, still didn't, I'm still a little kid, second grade, didn't realize, like I don't realize the difference between races. I'm still learning. Um, Great way to learn about racism growing up on an Indian reservation in the middle of South Dakota. But eventually I felt like um, like during my teenage years, uh, as a young woman, I felt like I was on forgotten land with a forgotten people. Like, I can't ever turn on the TV and see a Native woman or even a brown woman. Most of the time they're white women or, or radio I mean, it, or even books. I like to read books. It was, it, it always stood out for me being a, a Native woman and not being represented in mainstream media. Speaking of books, you mentioned one of the books that you first, at 12 years old, um, first excited you was you read Lakota Woman by Mary Brave Bird. Del and I love that book. Mm-hmm. It, blew our minds too but do you mind talking about you say that that book turned your world upside down can you talk about what it was like to actually see yourself in a book yeah because um i mean i was about 12 years old living on the reservation and i had no idea about that part of the history of the reservation so i'm reading this book and i'm like holy cow this stuff happened here and i approached mom about it and um, you know, after she could tell me anything else, and she she didn't want to talk about it because she had a bad experience with um, one of her close friends being um, raped and murdered in front of her during that time. Okay. So it was a really violent time um, for women the reservation during during that period. And after that, I didn't really search for any more information, but. I mean, it blew my mind in the fact that I, I grew up in a church and then realizing that part of the church, I mean, the church was a part of the problem. Christianity uh, was a part of the problem. Me speaking English was a part of the problem. And it was really big. Um, I had a really big identity crisis <laughs> mm-hmm. at a young age, trying to find out who I was. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that's, um, you know, that's somewhat related to this concept of um, intergenerational trauma. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you said you say in the film that uh, you think that maybe your mother was ashamed of being Lakota, um, and, you know, she raised you guys, you know, very Catholic, but then you had those missing pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And you talk about an identity crisis, but this is also about... Um, you know the the, the legacy, their their history. As um, you know, you read Lakota women, and and the, you know it's, it's talking about the Wandani occupation, in the 1970s, and then you know 100 year prior to that was the Wandani massacre. Can you talk a little bit about what that is in terms of intergeneral trauma and how that impacted um, your own life? Um, I seen it in my mom for before I seen it in myself. Because whenever um, she told me that I was an Indian, and I asked her about more information, um, I remember her telling me that I was lucky my skin was a lighter color than hers, and I asked her why, and she said, because people won't treat you so differently in public. But, I mean, looking at me, when I look at myself, I I don't, I mean, I, I look, I'm brown. My my eyes are different. My nose is different. My lips are different than the the normal white person. She was just delusional and thinking that <laughs> I would be treated differently because of my skin color because it wasn't as dark as her. And um, and I always wanted to learn more of the language and especially from her because she was fluent, but and she still is. She can understand it and she can speak it, but she's afraid to speak it because, I don't know, she doesn't, she doesn't like to speak the language because she thinks she sounds stupid. Hmm. impacted me because I mean, she raised me speaking English and I don't really know a lot of the language because she was, she's afraid that she sounds dumb when she speaks English or because I guess during that time, her her period of life growing up, if you were Indian, if you spoke the language, then you weren't as smart as somebody who spoke English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned in the film that your mother felt that it wouldn't be an advantage to her children to learn the traditions and the history. You know, in American society, she she seemed to want to prepare you to survive in this new way. Yeah, it's all interconnected and sad. Yeah, but do you feel that that was actually the case, though? I think she did what she thought was right for her children and what was good for us. Um, I I don't believe that personally. Mm-hmm. I don't think the way she thinks. I like. I hope my son my son knows who he is and where he's from and he will because I will tell him and I won't be ashamed of it and I won't be ashamed of the language and I won't be ashamed of the history. He's going to know that, you know, he was, you know, he's, he is a First Nation. Yeah, I definitely think that, um, you know, Native people should not be the one who should be ashamed at this point. Yeah. I mean, we, even, we had a lot of each society and still have a lot to offer society today. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Because we're looking at the 1800s, 
we're we're looking at like the gold rush era, like out in California, as well as what happened in South Dakota and out through the West. And it was this idea that the land is yours for the taking, and you do whatever you want to the land, no consequences. And it's still that day with oil and other resources being extracted from the earth with with no regard to how we're going to have clean water. And water is everything to us. And we we understand that interconnectedness between land and body and life. And I think in that sense, it's a lot to offer. And uh, a lot of indigenous nations, um, not only here, but in Canada and other places, you know, they're standing up for themselves and they're saying, we deserve, we deserve clean water, we deserve we deserve a, a healthy future for us and our future generations. One of the the proverbs in my culture is thinking seven generations ahead and planning seven generations ahead and knowing that your life here isn't just about yourself. I'd, I'd love to hear your thought about what, um, how you felt or you think maybe the the film um, and it, um, you know, debuted on um, independent lands in uh, November um, of 2013, how you felt that um, it impacted uh, the uh, women's rights on the Pine Ridge, on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Do you feel that um, there's going to be an impact around that? I can only hope that there's a positive impact that this film has on um, not only the Pine Ridge, but other reservations. Um, I know of uh, there's other women on, on Indian reservations who have reached out to me and said thank you and then tell me about the work that they're doing and how this inspired them to continue doing the work. So I, I, I think it has had a positive impact not only on Pine but other reservations. Mm-hmm. You know, during the film, Cecilia Fire Thunder, the woman behind wanting to build the Women's Health Clinic on Pine Ridge, she was impeached. She ran again but didn't win. Um, so there is no, quote, women's health clinic. But there was uh, the new president worked with Cecilia Fire Thunder to create a new women's shelter. Do you mind mm-hmm. talking about how this, what services this shelter offers and if, it, if it's in line with her vision or if it's different than what she really intended? Um, Cecilia was a black opening a domestic violence shelter, mm-hmm. I mean, which, which was uh, operating in the reservation before that. They just got a new building, a bigger building, more facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but several years after the new facility opened, the um, shelter got closed down. So mm-hmm. for maybe the past four or five years, there has been no shelter on the reservation. And no services currently for women at all, other than the IHS um, health services. The tribe has a victim services hotline, and I guess they refer people out. They'll, they'll find you um, connections outside of the reservation for help. But, I mean, there's, there's, like, nowhere to go physically. Has the recent passage of the Violence Against Women Act has that had a positive impact at all on the ability of the Pine Ridge 
nation to prosecute off-reservation off offenders, folks that impact your women? Yeah, the last I heard about the um, VAWA bill was that the tribe had to adopt um, ordinances within their laws to enact the Violence Against Women Act bill. Um, I haven't really heard anything else yet. Sounds like a lot of bureaucracy to me. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, there's still a lot of red tape that the tribe has to walk through with um, with the government, the United States government, in order to get that, um, the VALA, is it a law now? So in in order act, to use that, there's still a lot of red tape to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's depressing. Yes. Yeah. But on a positive note, though, uh, you're pregnant. You mentioned that with your first child. Uh, you do really soon. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, um, have you Have you thought about you know what what you want um, you know your son to um, to know? I mean, you shared a little bit that you want him to know about his identity. Um, how about you know for um, his future? What do you want um, teach him? I will to keep him to take care of himself and not rely on any women to do that. <laughs> you, you usually say you want that for your daughters, but I, I really want that for my son, too, and, and to also practice equality and that he's not better than women just because he has a penis. <laughs> Thank you for this quote. Beautiful. This will be the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, can you can you share the uh, what was the impact of this experience for you of being in the film? Um, uh-huh. How how did that feel? And and um, you know that now that the film is actually being shown all around, um, do you feel that um, there's success that comes with it? Um, well, when we first started filming and during filming, I had a lot of um, issues with the filming, only because I felt like, um, why are you filming me? and go find somebody else who's more worthy of being filmed mm. <laughs> and being heard because I am just some res girl <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, they I think the, the filmmakers had a hard time with me. I'm pretty sure they did, like, continuously encouraging, no, 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 you need to be heard. Uh, what you have to say matters. And coming out at the end of it, I didn't see that at the time, but I see it now. And I see just because, just because I was a little Indian girl growing up on a res in the middle of nowhere, doesn't mean that what I have to say doesn't matter. It does matter. Yeah, I would actually say that it, it matters way more than many voices that we hear out there because, um, uh, you know, this as this conversation we've just had with you has just illustrated there's just just so much that we don't know, that we don't realize that's um, impacting women on the reservation and and so much that's still, um, you know, impeding, you know, the success of, you know, strong women like you. Um, As you said, you know, family planning has helped you be so successful in your life, and we all want this for all women um, in this country and everywhere in the world, actually. Yes. And you and your sister, Serena, were a really good pair in the film because, you know, you were, like you mentioned, you described yourself pretty accurately, but when you did speak, it was powerful. I mean, really powerful. 
and your sister <laughs> did not hold back. It was you guys made a really good pair. I, I adore you both actually. <laughs> Thanks. She's she's still the same way too. <laughs> well good. We wouldn't want her to change. It's funny that these twins came out like kinda different, you know? So different. Yeah. We're we're identical twins but we really have different personalities. <laughs> I wanted to ask, uh, at the end of the film, I think it's you who's singing. Since you're twins, I wasn't 100% sure. Are you singing oh. the song at the end? Well, that was me singing, yeah. Man, you have a beautiful voice. That song it went right through me. Thank you. I hope that other young women out there who think that they're not worth anything, or if they've been put down many times, or really even told that they're not worth anything, I, I that they know that they are, and that they matter. And if they don't matter to anyone else, they matter to me. Thank you so much, Tony Clifford. Thank you very much for your time, and tell thank your you. sister, thank you as well. I will. Mm-hmm. Um, have a wonderful rest of your evening, and uh, congratulations, and, um, you know, we just, uh, wish you the best for um, the rest of your pregnancy and uh, your new life as a mom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was Sunny Clifford, the star and heart of the new documentary, Young Lakota, by reproductive justice filmmakers Marion Lipschutz and Rose Rosenblatt. The film premiered in November on Independent Lens on PBS. Thank you so much, Sonny Clifford, for your time and words. And thanks to Bread and Roses member and co-interviewer, Delphine Crescenzo. And thank you for listening to Bread and Roses, the longest-running feminist news and public affairs program in the country. Once again, Bread and Roses is a collective of woman-identified radio activists And we welcome anybody out there who would like to join our collective. We'll provide training and mentorship if you need it to help you bring your personal vision of feminism to the community. If you're interested in getting involved as either a producer or host or engineer, please contact Ani Haynes at volunteer at kboo.org or call 503-231-8032, extension 213. You can connect with us, Bread and Roses, on Facebook at KBOO Bread and Roses. I'm Leanne Kranz.